from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is U.S. Farm Report. Merry Christmas and welcome to U.S. Farm Report this Christmas weekend. I'm Tyne Morgan and here's what's in store this holiday weekend. A crop planted in love and purpose. For every 10 throw blankets we sell, we donate one to a children's hospital in South Carolina. How one South Carolina couple turned tragedy into something special, spreading comfort through cotton. In Minnesota, it's a tradition that shares Christmas joy for all to hear and see. We debated whether to get rid of it or to keep it, and uh, we decided, oh, it's got a nice shape to it, so we decided to keep it, and uh, it turned into something really, really special. That's as we bring you Christmas in the country. And in John's world, a season for hope. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Starting off this special edition this Christmas weekend with Mike North as well as Chip Mellinger. All right, a lot of news this week that really headlined the market. But Chip, for you, what was the biggest market moving news event this week? Yeah, I think it uh, really is a full-blown weather market now. It's uh, it's the weather forecast in Brazil and Argentina. It's drying out. Uh, we're getting into a critical time frame in their uh, crop production in those areas. And it's really a, a full-fledged weather market as we go into this long, uh, you know, Christmas and, and holiday, uh, Christmas and New Year's uh, uh, time frame where the volume usually shrinks a little bit. And I think it's going to add some potential volatility based on the changing forecast over the coming weeks. Yeah, but as we also look at the tight supplies, you know, left over from 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 the uh, last year, Mike, and then you look at any issues that we have in South America, do you think this just adds fuel to that volatility that we see? Oh, for sure. We we have talked about South American weather as a key watch point going forward into uh, this winter uh, because the tight supplies did exist. We knew we needed everything that we could get our hands on out of South America. So the moment that we begin to compromise their crop or, you know, uh, at least provide a, a stress point that puts question on yield, you, you, you add some greater volatility. And, you know, you pile onto that uh, Argentina's announcement of, of export uh, taxes and, and, and quotas, it shrinks that supply even further. So, you know, the, the, it becomes a snowball effect and it opens the door for funds and other speculators to come in and add premium to this market. Well, not just weather in South America, Chip. You look at the weather events here that have happened just in December, and our hearts and thoughts really go out to all those producers in western Kansas, whether it's the wheat crop or the livestock, you know, cattle that were lost in those wildfires. But you look at the wheat. We're hearing reports where that wind, the static electricity, a lot of that wheat crop is toast. How do you think that is a factor in the wheat market as we head into 2022. Yeah, I think that uh, it's definitely a factor in, in uh, us bottoming the wheat market here this week. Uh, you know, I think there's some technical considerations there. We approached a 50% retracement level uh, on the chart, but I really think that that uh, weather event with the wind and, and uh, the damage that, uh, you know, producers saw from that really is going to be something the wheat market is, is trying to assess for, you know, several more weeks, if not months. The wheat market has a hard time trying to figure out, uh, you know, damage this time of year in the production cycle in winter, whether that's winter kill or, you know, in this situation with the, uh, you know, the wind and, and, and the crop damage. So I do think that longer term, it is a big deal for the wheat market and, and possibly starting to uh, figure it out with the Kansas City wheat market leading us higher this week. So def very definitely, in my opinion, uh, that's something we're going to continue to play out 
uh, in Wheaton. I think there was a lot of damage done and, and not damage that we're going to come out of and, you know, see some uh, moisture this winter and, and, and the yield and, and, and those plant conditions bounce back. I, I think it was, uh, was really damaging and, and something that, uh, you know, is going to affect yield longer term. Well, Mike, cattle producers and ranchers, you know, they're also really assessing the damage. Those images, just heartbreaking. And it's not like the Cattle on Feed report really incorporated those numbers because it's just too early. So how is that going to play into the cattle story for next year? Well, I think, you know, when you look at events like this, they never show up in the reports very quickly. It takes a while. And so, you know, as we go through uh, successive futures or future reports, you'll start to see these numbers show up, but it's going to take a little bit of time. You know, the, the, the reality of the livestock space is nothing happens quickly in terms of, you know, growing the herd, reducing the herd. And, you know, whenever you see a uh, event like this, it, it, it works its way out in time, but you won't see any immediate acknowledgement of that in, in, in reports. So it takes a little bit of uh, uh, working through the numbers. So um, it'll be price supportive, but you're not going to see it overnight. Chip, at the same time, California seeing the wettest start to their water gear in 40 years. A lot of snow happening, which really is aiding that snowpack. As those producers, we saw the impact that the drought had and the liquidation that they were forced to do in the West and Northwest because of the dryness. You know, do you think we have an accurate handle even today on what our cattle herd looks like? Well, I don't think yet. I think you're going to continue to see the effects. Like Mike mentioned, you know, it just takes a while, especially in the cattle herd, to, to play those numbers out. And, and, you know, for the better part of a year now, because of the drought, we've had record amounts of, of cow kill. And on top of that, a lot of uh, heifers that would have been retained have been put um, you know, into the, uh, into the packing supply chain. And so I think that's held the cash market back a little bit for several months. But I, I think by late uh, winter, early spring, you're gonna start seeing uh, the effects of um, you know, still this drought situation and the massive amount of cows that we've killed over the last year. I, I don't think you've seen the effects of it yet. And I think by uh, say the middle part of the year of 2022, things are gonna get really interesting and really tighten up on uh, those numbers. And I think you'll start seeing those reflected uh, in future cattle on feed reports, but it's gonna take a little while, like Mike said. Well, that drought also impacting dairy production in the U.S. So we need to take a break, but then we'll talk to Mike about the dairy outlook as we head into 2022. But first, let's take a quick break. And then John Phipps actually joins us this Christmas weekend from his workshop. Well, this Christmas weekend, hopefully John is taking some time to relax and enjoy the holidays as he's been a pretty busy elf over the past several months and he joins us this weekend from his workshop. Over the years, a few of you have written in to compliment me on how neat and organized my workshop is. This Christmas, I think, is a good time to correct that misperception. Remember, you only see what I let the camera show you. So like a teenager shoving all his stuff in his closet when his mom nags him to clean his room, I just push the mess out of the camera frame. These pictures are the more natural state of my workshop. Now I'm, I'm not proud of my sloppy habits, 
and while hard to believe, I used to be much worse. It makes projects harder and much more time consuming. Puttering around in this sawdust sanctuary soon taught me I was wasting about 40% or so of my time recovering from the clutter of the last adventure. It is not due to virtuous character that I have come to try at least once a week or so to clear some of the horizontal surfaces of the debris of creation, not to mention the tools. Many farmers can rightfully boast of orderly shop, but I always suspected that they, or more likely their employees, were just underemployed, especially in the off season. Of course, they might be using that 40% of my shop time that I spend looking for my stuff. Like many other woodworkers, I inflict homemade gifts on family and friends. Consequently, this season, like several before, I am literally messing around in my shop making wooden gifts to delight and perplex my friends and family. This was my first effort oh, around 45 years ago, a wooden nativity jigsaw puzzle. Years rolled by and tools rolled in. One of the more popular objets de wood has been this peacock candelabra. The door wreath got favorable reviews. This year, I made candy cane wooden trays. You may have caught glimpses of them on previous shows. And as is usually the case, I had to ruin a few and a lot of wood to get it right. But Santa's work is never done, so I'm beginning a storage hutch for my daughter-in-law for her family collection of TV devices, DVDs, and board games. I've got my noise-canceling headphones playing my Christmas playlist, ample lumber, and as soon as I find my tape measure, I'll get to work. Thank you, John. And if you remember, John actually made this desk here in the studio such a gift that he has. And coming up later, he'll actually share a message of hope this Christmas weekend. But first, we need to take a quick break, and then Chip Nellinger and Mike North will rejoin us this Christmas weekend to talk markets. All right, we have a Mike North and Chip Nellinger rejoining us this Christmas weekend. All right, Mark, Mike, when you look at the drought situation, definitely a headline when it came to the dairy industry this year, when it comes to drought and inflation, it seemed like it really curbed the growth of dairy in the U.S. Now that we are seeing some relief in California, do you think that producers are able to, to start recovering from that? Well, there's still a lot more to recover from. You know, you, you, you mentioned the drought earlier in the West, and <coughs> that has certainly changed the feed quality and availability. And, and obviously, as a byproduct, too, prices have gone up on feed, so margins have been compressed, especially in the West. And so we've seen a lot of exits, a lot of people that have left the space altogether. Those won't recover. There's farms in California that aren't going to have access to water this year they aren't going to be in the space. Uh, you know, these are, these are terrible, tragic things, um, but they won't see any recovery on the backside once that dairy exits, uh, it, it's out. Um, but I, I will say this, milk prices right now, as you look at the 2022 calendar, are showing $19.5 class three averages, $20 uh, class four averages. Those types of prices bring profitability back to the dairy and allow recovery to come back around. And you'll even start to see 
growth in cow numbers and, and milk production growth again as well. Do you think profitability is something that's going to headline the cattle industry as well, Chip? We're coming off of a few very rough years when it comes to cattle producers. Do you think 2022 may be the year for cattle? Well, that's a that's a loaded question, right? Because there's uh, it depends on what segment of the industry you're in, and and that kind of cycles. You know, typically you don't uh, have the cow calf guy making a bunch of money at the same time the cattle feeder uh, does. I do think from the feedlot side, uh, you know, 2022 is going to be very good. I, I think, um, you know, the cow calf side, it's just going to take a while to still recover from this drought. You mentioned earlier, you know, uh, so far we've seen some better snowfall and you know, maybe some hope that things are going to get a little bit better uh, with some precipitation this winter, but uh, we're still not out of the woods uh, from the drought situation. So thinks it I think it depends on what segment uh, of the industry you're in. Uh, but I, I, generally speaking, I think from the feedlot side, uh, things look really good, in my opinion, the first half of uh, 2022 uh, going forward. Mike, a lot of talk about the variant seeing, uh, you know, COVID-19 cases on the rise. Did that impact any of our commodities, whether it comes to the grains or the livestock complex this week? I, I wouldn't say so in any sort of an extreme uh, fashion. I think the variant, though, rests in the back of everybody's mind as to how it relates to future demand. When that announcement came out the Friday after Thanksgiving, there was a huge response in prices across the board because the moment that it came out, we were hearing of countries closing, lockdowns coming, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that is a you know, demand concern. And, you know, we have bounced back from that relatively quickly in most of the markets. But I think as you examine, you know, people dining out and you take a look at, you know, foot traffic and restaurants and you, you know, look at travel going forward, it put it back in question. And I think that's where this variant continues to linger and maybe drag on markets just a little bit. But uh, any sort of, you know, sharp response in this week's markets to the variant? No not seeing anything there. All right. Well, with the Christmas theme, looking at joy and celebration and really getting back to things that matter. Chip, with that theme, what about the commodity markets this year? Do you think we can celebrate and really brought us joy? What did we learn that's really a positive? Well, you know, I think that the thing to be uh, grateful for as we get into uh, Christmas and, uh, and New Year's here uh, is uh, the fact that, uh, you know, we're the best producers uh, in the world. We had great challenges this year as far as the weather goes, particularly in the Plains and, and the Northwest Corn Belt. And, and the yield potential that we had was just phenomenal given some of those uh, weather challenges. So we can produce the crop. It looks like 2022 is uh, you know, gonna offer some profitability again. Yeah, Mike, Chip, thank you so much for joining us. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry to Christmas you to you and to yeah. everyone else watching. Exactly. Thank you for joining us. We really do appreciate it this Christmas weekend. All right. We need to take a break and then guess who's here to share some joy this weekend. None other than Machinery Pete. That's next.
season. This photo came to us from Christy Eckerman, well known in Batman and Scooby-Doo. Thanks for sharing your photos with us, folks, and be sure to check out Travel Tales on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Talk about such a joy and great sights all across rural America this holiday season. Thank you, Greg, and thank you to everyone on our Tractor Tales Facebook and Twitter pages who shared those special photos with us this year. All right, when we come back, a message of hope to kick off our Christmas in the Country special. John Phipps rejoins us next. Well, during the hustle and bustle of the holiday season, we often forget the true reason for the season. But this Christmas weekend, John Phipps has a reminder for us all. Christmas is a season of hope. It's in our seasonal songs. Hope of all the earth thou art. I'm going to leave that earworm out there to bug you until you identify the carol. For many of us, it seems like a long time since we felt hopeful. And there are clear reasons why. First, it's no longer cool. This is a cynical age, awarding fame points to those who can squish with 280 characters any hopeful statements. Hope is often confused with being sadly uninformed or hilariously naive. Speaking with hope has become a risky conversational theme. One result is many hopeful people keep silent in public just to avoid the inevitable eye rolling. This Christmas, I think, that unexpressed hope has begun to leak out, despite that laundry list of reasons why it is unfashionable. Our repressed hope inventory might just rival inflation as it balloons into our lives. We may rediscover hope is an essential ingredient in the meaningful life we are seeking with more intensity than ever. Another reason hope has languished in our hearts and voices is we often attach an unrealistic and immediate schedule to our hopes. Hoping for a specific gift this year, or in our profession, hitting a target price for our commodities. We too often overlook the sustaining power of longer term abiding hopes. These are the distant dreams we have ample time to turn into reality. For instance, a multi-generational goal for your farm, like raising the organic manor in a field, or keeping in good enough physical shape to farm alongside a two-generation successor, or the ever-so-gradual promise of planting trees. Pick one of your persistent hopes to realize this year, like playing the guitar or learning wood carving. These great hopes endure on the horizons of tomorrow when we look up from the battles of this day or hour or moment. The glimpses of joy and the quiet inspiration they bring are the essence of this season and one of the most precious gifts of our Christmas celebration. Daring to hope can add exhilaration and renewal to offset the world weariness we too often add thoughtlessly to our Yule season. May your Christmas be filled with all kinds of hope and may you have the courage to embrace them. Thank you, John. A great message to kick off our Christmas in the Country special this Christmas weekend. So when we come back, Clinton Griffiths joins me from the South Bend studios to share stories of comfort, joy, and more from a young couple who's turned their personal story into one of comfort through cotton to a special tree planted in Minnesota that truly is a spectacular sight. U.S. Farm Report continues this Christmas weekend right after the break.
U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast. The lights, and then they go by the tree, and it kind of lifts them up, lifts their spirits up. They feel better. The laughter. I think I've seen that the naughtier the girls kind of look like they're being, the happier the people are on the other end. Giving back. It makes you feel good to know that you're helping somebody out. All things that make up the fiber of rural America. Join us as we celebrate Christmas in the country. Good morning and Merry Christmas. I'm Clinton Griffiths, the host of Ag Day and editor of Farm Journal Magazine. And I'm Tyne Morgan, the host of U.S. Farm Report. We are delighted you are making us a part of your holiday celebration this year as we bring you our annual Christmas in the Country. And for many this year, it's nice to celebrate Christmas together after possible time apart because of the pandemic. And one farming family in North Carolina understands the importance of that togetherness in celebrating the season. And Clinton, they have found that donating just a little bit of their cotton crop goes a long way to helping a lot of people. Step onto Woodard Farms near Darlington, South Carolina, and you'll see a farm rooted in family. We're the uh, third generation here on the farm, raising the fourth. Along with his father, brother, and their families, the Woodards grow a mix of crops, including soybeans, peanuts, and cotton. We've had several really tough years in our area with hurricanes and floods, and so this year um, the weather cooperated. Tracy is Ty's wife, a city girl who met Ty at college. I'm in a unique position where I can share that story about what we do on our family farm. Um, I get the platform to do that in so many different ways. With a growing desire to share that story, Tracy and Ty had thrown around ideas until divine intervention took hold four years ago. Well, in December of 2017, the Lord woke me up from a dream, and the dream was covered in cotton. It was the logo, what it was supposed to be called, and that we were supposed to take the cotton that we grow on our family farm and make it into blankets. Just two years before that dream, the Woodards had faced the unthinkable. Our youngest son, Tobin, when he was three months old, he contracted bacterial meningitis. And he spent 35 days in the Children's Hospital in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, he had emergency brain surgery on his first Christmas Eve, because it was the worst season of our lives, not knowing whether our son would live. But it was during that time Ty and Tracy found comfort in a unique way. One nurse in particular, her name was Allie, she gave us a blanket. And that blanket became a source of comfort for us as we lived in a cold and uncomfortable hospital. And from that, her dream told her covered in cotton is what her new venture should be called. I woke Ty up and I said, this sounds insane, but the Lord told me what we're supposed to do uh, with our cotton. And he's an incredible husband and dad and farmer and man. And so he said the, the thing that you should say to your wife. I said yes, you know, and that, that meant that it was going to be a lot of work. From throws and baby blankets to hand towels, her dream told her to not just sell the products, 
but to also give some away and call it cotton with a cause. And every December, the Woodards travel back to the same hospital in which they spent Christmas in 2015. We actually have a donation coming up this month here in December where we'll donate another 100 back to the hospital that our son Tobin was in. Each type of throw blanket is named after each of their children and Ty's grandmother. The nurse who gave us our blanket when we were in the hospital with our son, we surprised her and got to share our story of what the Lord had done since we originally met her in the hospital and we got to give her a blanket. Not just any blanket, they gave her a Tobin blanket. That was a really special moment to be able to just share with her of how her small act of kindness had come full circle and how it was impacting other families all over the state. Tobin is happy and healthy. It's the best part of what we get to do because we get to bring that time in our lives full circle and share some hope and some comfort with some other families who are going through something similar to what we had. For every 10 throws purchased, the Woodards donate one back to a local children's hospital. As Covered in Cotton continues to plant love with a purpose of spreading comfort and joy year round. Now, Clinton, that giving spirit continues coming up. How one farmer is helping keep people fed with a staple of life. And what would Christmas be without our traditions? We celebrate the season with a look at all those famous Christmas trees, including one that thousands of people drive by every year. And even the not so famous as we visit some Christmas tree farms. Plus, every home with kids that seems to have one, we're talking about an elf on the shelf but one grandma is blessed with two of them. See how she's spreading a little joy as Christmas in the country continues. Throughout our Christmas in the Country special, we'll be looking at all those important landmark trees and telling you a little bit more about where they come from. Well, we start with the iconic Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. For the first time ever, it came from the state of Maryland. The 79-foot, 12-ton Norway spruce was donated by a family in Elkton. It was in their backyard, and the chief gardener from Rockefeller Center just happened to spot it while driving by one day. The tree was harvested one day last month with more than 100 people turning out in the small town to take part in the once-in-a-lifetime experience. One person calling it the magic of Christmas. And the magic of Christmas carries right into the meal we eat together as a family. And rice, it might be a side dish. Well, you know, rice has been called the staple of life. And for needy families around the Houston area, rice is not just a side dish but a necessity for survival. Texas Farm Bureau shows us how one farmer has been making sure Texas families have enough on their plates for decades. There are people that if they didn't have this rice, they may not have a meal. It makes you feel good to know that you're helping somebody out. Back in the mid 80s, Ray Brewer was a rice buyer for Uncle Ben's and he was a good friend of mine. We graduated from high school together. And I said, Ray, do you think Uncle Ben's would mill a load of rice if my dad and I sent a load of rice into the mill and then give it to the Houston Food Bank? And so he checked on it and they said, yeah, they'd do it. So we did that for several years. I think it was 98, 99, I established Share the Harvest Foundation. The way it happens, we will designate X number of acres 
for the food bank. Last year, we didn't have to pay for anything in the way of fertilizer, line services. There was no labor cost, there was nothing. Everybody just stepped up to the plate. We've been sending 44,000 pounds every six weeks of milled rice to them. And it's just been a joy to see how people contribute and donate. The Share the Harvest program is integral for us to distribute nutritious food to the multitude of families we support. Over 1.1 million people in our 18 county service area are food insecure. And so items like rice, which is a staple that goes across any culture, is super important when people are trying to prepare a nutritious meal for their families. We don't even think about it when we're giving because it's not that kind of a deal. You just give because you, people need it and because you need to do it. Our thanks to Texas Farm Bureau for sharing that story. Well, coming up, we talk holiday traditions. Everything from picking out the perfect tree to even the elf on the shelf. But those elves are a little bit more unpredictable as our Christmas in the Country special presentation continues. U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by AgriGold, your seed ally in the field with unparalleled options that perform on your farm. Learn more at agrigold.com. Here's a look at the National Christmas Tree Association's 2021 Grand Champion Tree and Growers. The 18 and a half foot Fraser fir coming from Peak Farms of Jefferson, North Carolina. It was presented at the White House to the First Lady by Rusty and Bo Estes. This is the third time a tree from their farm has been selected to bring a tree to the White House. It now is beautifully decorated in the oval-shaped blue room at the White House. And real Christmas trees have been in high demand this year. Some farms reporting they closed early due to a shortage of trees. But in the mountains of North Carolina, this year's harvest was something to see. The weather cooperated at Wishon Evergreens in Allegheny County, North Carolina, as they harvested trees more than a month ago. They said the trees had great color and needle retention. They estimated they would sell about 50,000 Christmas trees this year, which were shipped to garden centers and retailers all up and down the East Coast. And they also take web orders and can deliver a freshly cut tree, wreath, or garland right to your home. Owner Johnny Wishon says, it's become a family business. I think over the last few years, I think we've lost some Christmas tree growers uh, just through retirement and that kind of thing. But uh, my son has come back into the family business, which has been a great thing. And just having your son there, um, you know, somebody that you know has your back and has all your best interests at heart because he's a part of it and he grew up with it. It's, it's, it's hard to put into words how cool that is. Well, for many, going to a tree farm is part of their holiday traditions. Gracie Matias for affiliate KRCG 13 takes us to Star Pines in Boonville, Missouri. That's not a construction site. It's the sound of a Christmas tree getting ready for its new home. The five-foot scotch pine is going back to Columbia with Connor and Ashley and their dog Sunshine. Instead of just getting one from like Home Depot or Lowe's, I think it's more fun to come out and do it yourself. It's been a long-lasting tradition for Barbara Lewis and her husband. 
We've been married 52 years and we've been cutting trees for 52 years. Star Pines is a 200 acre family run farm with two types of trees to choose from. They open for the season on Thanksgiving Day. And it's clear to see the difference between the pine and the fir. Of course, the fir having the more classic Christmas tree look and having those softer needles, but it's also a lot rarer and harder to grow here in Missouri. But the staff at Star Pines say as far as the different looks, well, that's just up to personal preference. And this one's a pine tree. Yeah, it's like nice and like it's tallish, but it's also not super fat. 2020 was a good year for real tree sales and experts at Consumer Reports say real Christmas trees might be the way to go this year due to the global supply chain issues impacting artificial tree supply and ship times. Last year we actually did very well as far as tree sales and this year it's looking to be about the same. I think people are just wanting to get out. Much has changed over the past year, but for the Lewis family, this tradition is here to stay. Well, COVID hasn't helped, so the kids aren't coming for Christmas and we've just kind of, we've just downsized a little bit of the Christmas decorations and things like that. So anyway. You still can't break tradition, you're still here. No, we're still here, we're still doing the tree, so, and we love it. Thanks, Gracie. Well, you've seen the Rockefeller Christmas tree, the White House Christmas tree, and now the National Christmas tree. This year's tree came from Middleburg, Pennsylvania, and is decked in white and red lights, the tree coming from Hillview Christmas Tree Farm. This tree was actually planted in the President's Park near the White House, roots and all. Well, still ahead, we celebrate a relatively new tradition, the elf on the shelf. But one North Dakota grandma has her own take on the tradition that involves twins. See what she's doing to help spread a little joy this season as Christmas in the country continues. U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Wiffles Hybrids. Quite possibly the best hybrids you can buy. And here's a look at the so-called people's tree, the tree that sits in front of the U.S. Capitol. This tree coming from California. The 84-foot long white fir tree came from the Six Rivers National Forest. It was decorated with 15,000 ornaments, all of them created by the people of California. Well, something else that's become a tradition, Elf on the Shelf. Do you have one in your home? I do, and you do too, right, Clinton? Yep, sometimes that elf even forgets to do what they're supposed to. But one woman in Bismarck, North Dakota is taking Elf on the Shelf to a whole new level. Jody Kurzman of Ag Day affiliate KFYR shows us what she's doing that is creating a lot of smiles across the country. The oldest one is Audrina. Tony Gumringer. She's a minute older than her sister, Alaria. Is a proud grandma. Nine months old. She spends her days watching her twin granddaughters. They are always smiling. Those smiles gave her an idea. Here's my smile. Every day since November 30th, she's been dressing the girls in elf costumes. Make you an elf? Positioning them in some creative poses. We're going to have a party in the kitchen. And snapping a photo. <gasps> Sometimes it takes a couple of tries. She posts a daily photo of her little elves to her Facebook page. We've been trying to, to create a new one every day. She never expected the photos would be so popular. Yesterday we had 200 likes, so it, 
kind of grew out of nowhere, but you know, like I said, just making people smile is our kind of objective. While these girls make their grandma smile every day, you smile for grandma. She says sharing those smiles with others wherever they are makes the daily photos a little extra special. There's so many people that are just, just have to stay home. Just making people smile from at their house from here is kind of fun. Good job, Alaria. Thinking up pranks for the little elves has been fun too. Tony has been searching the internet for ideas and has discovered the more mischief the elves get into, the better. I think I've seen that the naughtier the girls kind of look like they're being, the happier the people are on the other end. Those fun moments are what Tony hopes to capture what are we gonna do? and to share with others. In Bismarck, I'm Jody Kurzman, reporting for your news leader. Just like the Elf on the Shelf, there are all kinds of traditions we celebrate every year. One of them just happens to involve a tree and some lights along a very busy interstate. Meet the man behind this tribute in light next. Closed captioning on U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. How much of an impact can a tree and some lights make? Well, a lot, Clinton, when you're talking about 50,000 lights in a tree that's seen by thousands of people. Andrew McRae takes us to Fairbault, Minnesota to meet the man who helps bring light to the night this time of year. Jerry Loggison bought this property along Interstate 35 south of Faribault, Minnesota in 1976. The next year he built a house. There was a small oak tree between the home and the road. We debated whether to get rid of it or to keep it and uh, we decided, oh, it's got a nice shape to it, so we decided to keep it and uh, it turned into something really, really special. Over the years the tree grew. It was pretty, but not much different than other trees you might see in someone's yard. But in 2011, he saw a tree similar to his adorned with some beautiful white lights in the Twin Cities. He thought his tree was better looking than that one, and that led him to try his hand at it. There's uh, 50,000 lights, is uh, 500 strands, 100 light strands, you know. And when Jerry flipped the switch back in 2012, this became much more than just an oak tree in his front yard. It became a beautiful landmark for the thousands passing by. Jerry rents a 50-foot lift each year to allow him to get around to all parts of the tree, replacing bulbs and adding lights where needed. You've got to wrap them around the limbs and then you've got to take zip ties and interlock so that if the wind blows, they're not going to come off that branch. He used to just run extension cords from his house to power it. Now he's got permanent underground electricity running directly to his tree. But when Jerry began his adventure back in 2012, he was just lighting the tree for the Christmas season. He had no idea the impact it would have on those who passed by on the interstate. A lot of these truck drivers have been on the road for maybe six, eight hours, and then they go by this tree, and it kind of gives them a little lift, you know, and they honk their horn and stuff. And I know I drive by there. It's my tree, and I drive by it, and I feel better looking at it. He's received many letters over the years, people speaking of personal challenges or health problems they are facing. They pass the tree on their way to and from hospitals, nursing homes, and family. Whatever the case, they write Jerry and speak of the feeling they get when they drive past his tree. It does make me feel good. It makes me feel like I bring a lot of joy to a lot of people 
I'm not personally involved with the people, but my tree touches them, touches them right in their heart. Every holiday season, thousands of people drive past this tree. And whether they're seeing it for the first time or many times, each finds their own piece of joy from the 50,000 lights Jerry puts out each year. Traveling the countryside, near mile marker 52, just south of Faribault, Minnesota, I'm Andrew McCray. All right, thank you, Andrew, and thanks to all of you for watching. On behalf of all of us at Farm Journal, have a safe and Merry Christmas.